But what I wanted to, to do is jump into our series right now that we're in, which is called Devotions. And it's all about staying devoted to these things that God has called us to. And the word devotion really just means this. It means love, loyalty, enthusiasm for a person, activity, or a cause. And that's who we are. We are loving people who are loyal to one another and the mission of God and who have enthusiasm for one another, for, for what God's called us to do, and ultimately for God himself. Anybody in here enthusiastic about God in your life, about his faithfulness? Absolutely. We're devoted community. And one of the things that as a devoted community we want to do is to help you, help us grow in our ability to explore and apply the Word of God to our lives. When we're in the Word of God, we find that it's alive and it's active. It's not some antiquated, dead literature. It's actually something that has life in it, that produces life in us. As a matter of fact, uh, we can read more about what the Bible's value is to our lives in 2 Timothy chapter 3 where it says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. See in Ephesians 2 it says that God created you as a masterpiece. That's your identity. But it also says that he created you for good works, for a purpose. And two of the things that the scriptures are intended to teach us is who we are and what we're called to do. And, and so we want to continue to explore that. And uh, one of our goals in this series was to actually set you up with some resources. And if you go back to uh, northwood.church slash podcast, you can actually go listen to some of our um, earlier messages in this series. And you'll hear us really do a, a full walkthrough through some of the resources that we wanted to provide for you so that you could be a more successful, uh, have a more successful Bible study experience or devotional experience. And, and so you go back and listen to those, but one of the things that we highlighted in that list of, of resources was something called the One-Year Bible. And that's what this series is kind of working through. As, as we read the One-Year Bible, we're looking back on the previous week's scriptures, and we're borrowing a scripture or a, a set of scriptures from that week, and, and we're exploring them here on Sunday morning. And then, actually, we're in our sermon group series, uh, uh, sermon group Sermon-based groups, uh, we are having conversations about what's being taught here on Sunday mornings. Uh, and some of those are happening, not this week, but uh, some other weeks immediately following service or on Sunday evenings. We've even got one on a Friday evening that's a little bit different. And, and so this has been a really special semester just talking about the things of God. And this week, we're looking at the One Year Bible Scripture reading from Psalm 100. And, and so, again, if I was going to study the Bible, if I wanted to crack it open on a Monday morning or a Tuesday morning before work, and I wanted to look at, hey, what, what, what does God have for me in, in this word today? What, what, is, what does he want to kind of speak to me as I'm looking to study? I might go look at a Bible summary. And the summary would give me an overview of a particular book of the Bible or maybe a particular chapter of the Bible. And so here I want to give you a quick summary that we borrowed from a couple different of those resources that we uh, recommended. And uh, it goes like this. Psalm 100 was a formal call to worship. It is a call to praise and thanksgiving for God's goodness, his love, and his faithfulness. As a matter of fact, it's the only psalm in all of the book of Psalms, that collection of 150 psalms, that says that it's a psalm of thanksgiving. That's what it is, a psalm of thanksgiving. And so I'm excited uh, to walk through this. But before we do, if you recall, 
uh, what we wanted to also equip you with was three really simple questions that you could ask before you got into the Word, anytime you sat down in front of it, uh, that would help you apply a filter to draw things out of the Word that would be helpful for you. And the three questions were as follows. It was, what do I learn about God? Right? What do I learn about people? Not just others, but myself. What do I learn about people? And then what does God want me to do? So there's something to know about the Scripture, and then there's our response to the Scripture. And so in Psalm 100, we're, we're going to read. It's only a five-verse selection. That's all that there is in that 100th Psalm. And, and before we jump in the Word, one of the things I like to do, and, and you might make a practice of this when you're looking to approach the Word and study, is to pray and ask God to help. So let's do that now. Father, we just thank you so much for your word that is alive and active, for your word that is profitable for teaching us, for training us in righteousness, even for correcting our hearts and our attitudes and and our motivations and, and for pointing us towards Christ. We thank you for your word. God, I pray that this morning that our hearts are opened, that where there be callous, God, that you soften them. God, where there be closed doors, that you open them. God, where our minds are distracted, that you bring focus. God, where we're less interested, that you would would pull out of us, God, just compel us to be interested in your word, in your truth, and that it would lead to life change in our hearts today. We thank you for it now, in Jesus' name, amen. So in verse 1 of the 100th Psalm, we're reading, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, and not just some of the earth, all the earth, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and he is faith and his faithfulness to all generations. All of them. He's always been faithful. He always will be. And so that brings us to the first question that we want to ask, right? When, when exploring the scripture, we're in a Bible study. It's Monday morning. The kids haven't come down the hall yet, sipping our coffee. What do we want to learn about this text? Well, the first question I want to ask is, what do I learn about God? And, and before I answer that question, I want to reread some scripture. Verse 3b says, know that the Lord, he is God. And then skip to verse 5, and it says, The Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. So, what do I learn about God? I learn that the Lord is God, and he is good. It's that simple. See how easily we can draw those truths out of the Scripture? The Lord is God, and he is good. The, The question that has to be asked and answered here today, though, is do you know that? See, it says, know that the Lord, he is God. This is an imperative, a command even, an instruction that that we're being given by the psalmist and we're to receive that instruction. And so do we know God? See, part of our mission statement here at Northwood Church is that we build Christ-centered communities to help people know God, to help people know God. And and I just think that knowing God is, is one of the most important things about what we do. Sometimes we're worried about all the bells and whistles and maybe we're looking forward to the hangouts and, and we're looking forward to all those things. But if, if we don't know God, then we're missing the most vital part of this experience. And he's not just a God. He is, according to these verses, he is the Lord God. 
that word God, Elohim, that can actually be applied with a lowercase e rather than the capital E that God has, uh, a lowercase e, because there's other gods in the Bible. We know there's no actual other gods, but there's other spirits that exalt themselves as gods. And, and this is not one of those gods. This God, the God that we're talking about here, he is the Lord God. He's Jehovah. He's Yahweh. That's the name that he has given to himself that he wants to be known by, the Lord God. And he wants us to know that we're not God. Did you know that you're not God? Sometimes we pretend we are. I do. My kids do. Man, the second kids are born, everything is about them. <laughs> everything, all of the focus and attention is on them. And now some of that has to do with just their lack of capacity, their ability to survive, right? So I don't want to suggest that that's not just part, that's part of God's design. But the other part of that, let, let those kids get about a year on them, then a year and a half on them. They, they, they have the ability to, you know, do some more things. Now they're three and, and four and five and but it's still all about them, isn't it? It's because we have this tendency to make life about us. We want to be the center of the universe, but that's reserved for Jehovah, for God. And, and so we're not God. And those idols in our lives, those other things that we kind of treat like gods in our lives, those aren't God either. You know, the first commandment in uh, Exodus that God gave on, the, on Mount Sinai is, you shall have no other gods before me. Why do you think God chose to make that the first commandment? Because we have a tendency in our sin nature to make other things God. We can make our careers God. We can make our spouses God. We can make our children God. We can make our goals, our ambitions, our dreams. I'm not saying all of those things are bad. Those are great. They're blessings. But if we put them in the wrong seat, if we put them on the throne of our hearts and they become God, now it's idolatry. Those things aren't God. You aren't God. He is God. And he's not just God, some run-of-the-mill, ordinary kind of character. According to these verses, he's faithful to all generations. His love endures forever. According to this scripture, he's worthy of our worship if you look at all of the narrative of the entire Bible, we see that he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's all-present, he's everywhere at all times. We see that he's holy, that he's absolute, that he is true, that he is righteous, that he's a just judge. But we also see that he's merciful. These are the characteristics of God. And, and this is the God that he's calling us to know. This unchanging, unwavering God who's always been the same, the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Do you know this God? You know, Jesus, uh, he was talking to uh, Peter, the apostle Peter, and there was this moment. Peter had been walking with Jesus for years, and so had the other disciples, and, 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 and Jesus, you know, checked Peter, really wanted to discover, did he know? And he said, do you know, who do you say that I am, Peter? Who do you say that I am? And you know what Peter said? Peter said, oh, you're the Messiah. You are the Son of God. He clarified who Jesus was. He said, you're the anointed one. You're the one that was sent and prophesied of, in, of old. You're the one that comes to set the captive free. You are the Son of God. And you know what Jesus said? Man, man did not tell you that. Flesh and blood did not tell you that. That, that knowledge, that revelation of who I am, that came from the Father. See, us knowing Jesus, us knowing God, it's a revelation that comes 
from the Father. It comes from the Holy Spirit. And, and so we have to ask this question again. Because sometimes we, we come to a place in our lives where we know God, right? We come, maybe we raise our hands, we pray a prayer, we surrender our lives, we fill out the next steps card, right? All those things are great. And, 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 and then we maybe connect with some people and we're in a, in a small group, right? And, man, we're, we're husbands and now we're leading our family spiritually, right? And, and, and man, there's, we're, there's good culture in our lives. We're looking more like Christ. And then something hits you out of nowhere and life shifts gears and, and things get complicated and all of a sudden you're distracted and we begin to behave like we have forgotten who God is. Have you, for whatever reason, this is an important question to ask yourself and ultimately to ask God because he's the one that can show you what's in your heart. Have you forgotten who God is? And so if I was studying the Bible, which is kind of what we're doing right now, I would probably stop here and I would pray. I would say, God, let's pray right now. God, have we forgotten who you are? God, is there anything in us that has risen and exalted itself and taken up residency on the throne of our hearts, that place that's reserved for you? Have we let something else get in the way there? If we have, Lord, would you point it out? Convict us. Show us. God, we don't want to let anything become God in our life. You are the one true God, and we worship you now. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. So that comes, brings us to the second question that we would ask about these scriptures. What do I learn about people? Before we answer that, I want to get to the verse again. In uh, the 100th Psalm, in verse 3b, it says, It's he who made us. We are his, his people the sheep of his pasture. See, what we learn there about people is that people are made by God to belong to God with a deep need for God. We're made by God to belong to God. That shows belonging with a deep need for God. Doesn't it feel good to, to hear that you belong to somebody? Doesn't it, doesn't it feel good to know that you've been chosen that, that he sees you and he loves you and that he, he desires you. He says, you will be my son, you will be my daughter. That's his heart. But he's also our creator and we are his creation. See, we're, we're made by him and we're made for him. And he is not only our creator, but he's our shepherd. He said, we're the sheep of our pasture in this scripture which makes him our shepherd. And if we're his sheep, we, we ought to understand a few things about how sheep behave. Have you, have you ever watched a sheep and its behavior? First off, you need to know a sheep is lost without a shepherd, right? A sheep is lost. They're a peculiar animal. As a matter of fact, I got a video to remind us exactly of how sheeps tend to behave. Let's play that. Is that anybody's life story right there? How many times have you been yanked out the ditch just to jump back in it? I mean, like you don't know no better. Well, we don't because we're like sheep. You know what else sheep are like? Sheep will walk in circles. 
without their shepherd, never finding food, never eating, and they'll actually starve themselves to death. They can't find the food they need. Sheep without a shepherd, when their wool get when their wool gets wet and the sun bakes that wet wool, they become smelly. And what it does is it actually attracts blowflies. And those blowflies lay their eggs that become like maggots, right? Because flies come out of that. And they'll lay those eggs in different holes and orifices on the sheep's body. And without a shepherd cleaning that sheep, that sheep will literally die from the infestation. Sheep often get caught in fences as they're trying to get out of the pasture that their shepherd's given them into another pasture for whatever reason. If if it's anything like me, it's because, well, I think that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, right? And you know what happens to the sheep? They get caught in the fence. Man, they're just waiting on on the shepherd, and the shepherd, if he doesn't come, snatch them up out that fence. Those sheep will die in that fence. Sheep are prone to wander. They're vulnerable apart from their shepherd, subject to attacks from the enemy, from the wolf. They need protection. They need guidance. Sheep are peculiar animals. And over 100 times in the Bible, you are referred to as a sheep. For some reason, God saw fit to call a sheep. And And our hearts are prone to wander. Maybe that's why. We forget who God our shepherd is. We forget our deep need for his care, for his protection, for his guidance. We forget what he's done for us, that he's put us in a healthy pasture where there's green grass, where we have no other need to go apart away from what he's given us. We forget that sometimes. Psalm 78 says of the Israelites, God's people, They forgot his works and the wonders he'd shown them. God had delivered the Israelites so many times. He'd made covenant promise with them that they would be a a, a people who were uh, blessed. Then they found themselves in bondage due to their own rebellion. And and then he delivered them through miraculous wonders and miracles. It's just, just time after time after time he revealed his glory to them and they forgot his wonders, and his works. So we have to ask ourselves the question, have you forgotten what God has done for you? Have you forgotten the good news of his love, of his mercy? Have you forgotten that he sent his son Jesus to accomplish what you cannot accomplish on your own, to be a sacrifice so that you would not have to pay a penalty for the weight of your sin, the weight of your trespass against God and his law that he set for our lives? Have you forgotten about his faithfulness to all generations, about his enduring love, about Christ and his grace? I know it's easy to forget. You know, God not only created us, but in Christ, he recreated us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we are new creatures. We're born again by the Holy Spirit. Like all the old man has passed away, the new man is here. And we're called to live our lives for the one who gave his life for us, but sometimes we forget. Sometimes we forget just like good sheep do. And... I know that 
I'm thankful, and we forget this, I'm thankful that he's given us his word because it's in his word where he reminds us who he is and what he's called us to. I'm thankful that he's given us his spirit because it's by his spirit that we have conviction and instruction that, that we're pointed towards all truth and righteousness. Did you know that his Holy Spirit that came after Jesus left and departed to go be with the Father, he sent his Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit testifies to our hearts about who Jesus is. We should be thankful for his Holy Spirit. But sometimes we forget. So we ask the question, have I forgotten? You know what I might do if I was studying the Bible on a Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning? Or whenever that time that you find with the Lord is, I might stop here and pray. Why don't we do that? Father, we come before you with humility and, and we just acknowledge that you, you have given us our good shepherd in Jesus and all we like sheep at some point in our lives have gone astray and you've called us home and we want to know your voice, the voice of our shepherd and we want to respond and, and we want to follow you and we want to come under your care and your protection and your instruction in our lives. But God, help us. Sometimes we forget. God, help us not to forget. Thank you for your word, for your spirit reminding us now in Jesus' name. Amen. And when we do remember, what do we do then? Well, we should have an appropriate response. And that brings us to the third question. The third question is, what does God want me to do? And before we answer that, we're going to look back at the scriptures. Now remember, our response is, is in response to what he's done and who he is. And now that we have an appropriate response, and we see in verse 1 it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. No one's exempt. Everybody's supposed to make a joyful noise. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Skip down to verse 4. It says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his holy name. So, what does God want me to do? Well, before I give you the main thing that I want to focus on today, I want to give you a little side note. It's a quick mention. He wants us to serve him with gladness. He wants us to serve him with gladness. If I was to look at my life, you know, today's me and Amy's 12-year anniversary. Yeah, yeah, come on. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not doing great, though. I'm telling you. Let me tell you the story. Hold on. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. So last night, <laughs> I didn't sleep because the night before our 12-year anniversary, I kind of upset Amy a little bit. And I won't get into those details. But it had to do with me lacking gladness in my serving her. Any husbands ever lack some gladness in serving your wife? Because appreciate you, bro. No, no, he just, thank you for that. I, don't leave me hanging out here. <laughs> okay, one more time. Any other men ever lack some gladness and serve? Okay, thank you. Thank you, man. Jeesh. Any wives ever lack some gladness in serving your spouse or your children? Of course. Of course we do. Whether you're married or not, maybe you lack gladness in serving in, in the responsibilities God's giving you in your workplace. Maybe you lack gladness in serving in the church. Anybody ever had to come in a little early to set up the, the portable system here at Northwood Church, Ocean Springs, or set up the, the stage in the front of the house and, and, and felt a little lack of gladness? No, nobody in this room, of course. Can, can we give it up for our portable and stage team who 
is so faithful to set this stuff up with gladness every week. But me, I'm not on those teams. And sometimes I'm not glad. <laughs> I'm tired. Like to this morning, three and a half maybe hours of sleep. Guzzling coffee, you know. And he says, serve with gladness. And you say, well, hold on, boss. What about my health? In order to be glad, I've got to be healthy. And I'm like, no, in order to be healthy, you've got to be glad. I think, I think we forget that it's not always the boundaries that we build around our lives to protect ourselves from having to serve others. That's the thing that makes us healthy. It's the posture of our hearts with which we do the serving that makes us healthy. Serve with glad hearts. That's what I want to continue to do. But the main thing we want to talk about in relationship to what God wants us to do, the primary area of focus, is that God wants us to praise him. God wants us to praise him. See, these verses tell us some specific ways we should approach God. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. And maybe some of us are unfamiliar with these, this picture of gates or courts, but the people that would have been reading this psalm when it was first written, they wouldn't have been unfamiliar with this. See, from early in the God's people's testimony of them walking with God, God wanted to give them a space to meet with him. And so at first it was the tabernacle, and then eventually it became the temple, and the temple was simply a permanent form of what the tabernacle was in portable form. And both the tabernacle and, and the temple had what was had gates, this outer you know fence, if you will, or this outer boundary, and you had to come through the gates to enter in to this space where people were gathered with anticipation to worship and prepare themselves for worship. And, and there would actually be an altar in that space where they would sacrifice a bull or a lamb or whatever it was that they were sacrificing to, to worship God because God required sacrifice to worship. And, and then once they made those sacrifices and made preparation, they could, especially the, the priest namely, could go into the, a place called the holy place. And in the holy place, there was another altar called the altar of incense where they burn incense as worship to God. And then there was literally in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the presence of God was, there was the mercy seat where the high priest once a year would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat as another altar. And, and this altar, this sacrifice, this worship would be done and God's presence would fill the place and worship would happen. And people would be able to experience his glory and his goodness. But there was a veil between the outer courts and the holy of holies, and the holy place. There was a veil. And so there was this pattern by which you had to, a high priest could go in beyond that veil, but common folk couldn't even go in beyond the veil, and that's where God's presence was. And, and we would all desire God's presence, but there was a veil, and now the, the good news includes the fact that when Jesus hung on that cross, that by the power of his shed blood, the veil in the temple literally tore in two, symbolically showing that we now have access to the throne of grace. We now have access to the presence of God through Christ Jesus. And it's not just symbolic, it's literal, a miraculous access that we have to the Father, to God, to Jehovah. And it's incredible. It's incredible that he would give that to us. And now our lives become the altar. Now our lives become this place of reasonable worship. 
We don't have to sacrifice a bull. Jesus was a sacrifice once and for all. And now our hearts can burn with passion for the one true God. And we can do everything, serving, living, praising, worshiping, out of worship. As a matter of fact, this is a great reason why we should do what the scriptures tell us to do, to do this with joy, gladness, thanks, and praise. Now, if you've been around the church for any period of time, you've heard this type of stuff usually referred to generally as worship. And, and it wouldn't be wrong to categorize it. Like, it's not wrong to categorize this as a worship service, as worship happening here, right? See, because worship really is just ascribing worth or value to something or someone. And so the Israelites brought sacrifices. They gave the very best of what they had, their first fruits, and, 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 and they gave in abundance. And it was an expression of God is worthy, and so I'm giving him what, what displays how much I believe he's worthy, right? And so that's worship. And so we're to do the same. And ultimately, our, life, our lives are a, a, a lifestyle. We're supposed to live a lifestyle of worship, as mentioned. As we go, we're always worshiping. The question is, who or what are we worshiping? Who or what are we ascribing worth and value to? And so I would ask myself that question. Who or what am I ascribing worth and value to? Is it God alone? Is it Christ? Christ alone? A am I worshiping Jehovah? Or am I worshiping some other false God? But the word worship was not used in this scripture. The word worship in Psalm 100, it doesn't exist. But a nuance of worship does exist, and it's called praise. Now, praise, let's define that. That's the expression of approval of something or someone. You know when you see someone kind of shouting, come on, and they're, God, you're good. We're, we're praising. That's an affirmation of who God is and what we believe about him. Praise is expression of our approval of God. And the Bible teaches us a number of different ways about praise, about how to praise. It teaches us that we can praise by lifting our voices and singing. Some of you that don't like to sing, <laughs> it's okay, I get it. I don't have the best voice. I let it rip anyway. Curtis, I'm sorry. Every single Sunday, you got to put up with this. But I'm not stopping. I'm not going to stop because the scripture says, and I can't help it, lift your voices, lift a song in praise. It says that you can praise by lifting hands and playing instruments. Now, these are some of the most primary ways that we see in all of the Bible that we're instructed to praise. Did you know that what's happening in this room every sun single Sunday morning that we gather as instruments are being skillfully played, I might add? Come on, let's give it up for Joel and the team. And just so thankful for their skill. As, as, as they're skillfully playing instruments and, and, and as we're lifting our hands in worship, it's literally biblical. It's not just like some emotional expression, although there are some emotions involved. That's not a bad thing. It's, it's obedience to what the Word teaches us about praising God. And so there's some ways to praise God. There's a posture of praise. Now, our posture, if you were to talk to people, like talk to your homies out there in the workplace or in, if maybe in school, in, in your classroom, or maybe even just a family member who doesn't believe like you believe, tell them what your Sunday morning might look like, right? Oh, man, we were in there. We were singing songs together, and we had our hands lifted and clapping. Some people were bowing down. It was, it was amazing. And they would say, man, you're foolish. You sound ridiculous. And do you know that one of the definitions of how we are to praise God in the Bible is defined as foolish and ridiculous expression? 
we got to stop worrying about the, what the world thinks about us. I'm not suggesting we need to, like, be weird, but I am suggesting, I mean, we need to walk in wisdom and discernment, right? But I am suggesting, we want to be winsome, right? But I am suggesting that we should not let them dictate how we give worship and praise to the God of the universe, the Lord of our salvation. And if it's indignant like David dancing through the streets of Israel, I, well, don't do that one here at least. He's, I think he was, was he naked or just in a towel? We don't know exactly. But the rumor has it that it was a little too indignant. <laughs> so we're not going to do that. But, but don't worry about what the people around you think. Don't worry about what the guy standing next to you thinks or, the, the late, or your kids or your wife or your husband. And you worship God. And you be foolish if it means that your worship and your praise is foolishness to those who don't believe. As a matter of fact, it might look like bowing down. It might look like dance. These are expressions of praise in the Bible. Now, some of you that come from a certain background of church, that's cool if you're more like, hey, look, I just, I just kind of, this is kind of my posture here. Um, sometimes I like to sit. Otherwise, if I stand, it's kind of here. That's okay. That's okay. I'm not saying there's no room for that. I'm not saying there's no room for reverent fear of the Lord in worship. But what I'm saying is that there's instruction to dance and sing and lift hands and lift up a holy voice. And we can't ignore that. So we have how to praise, a posture of praise. Now we have an attitude of praise. It says do it with joy, gladness, and thanksgiving. And we do this personally. As we go in our lives, day by day, as I mentioned before, you have become the temple of the living God. Did you know that the tabernacle is no longer the temple? Actually, the second temple has been destroyed. And when the third temple comes, according to the Bible, that's actually, you know, we're nearing the end. So you don't want to go worship there. You are the temple of the living God. His presence indwells you. His spirit lives inside of you. He resides inside of every single believer. And your heart, your life has now become, again, an altar to the Lord. So that's personally in every place of your life. In the shower, at work, driving down the highway, before you go to bed, when you wake in the morning. That's Deuteronomy 6, all of those places. All Deuteronomy 6 says that it's just as you go. But it's also corporate. And, and I think a lot of us have gotten the idea that as long as we're doing it personally, corporate's not as big a deal. Corporate means together in a, in a gathered setting where there's many people of God praising together. See, we want to praise in the way that honors God most. And he says, yes, where two or more are gathered, there he'll be. But there is something miraculous and powerful that God does as we all, as a community of believers, lift our hands and lift our songs and, and bow our hearts before him. And whatever posture that looks like, I don't want to tell you how to follow God exactly, but I, I, do, I do know that God, he manifests his presence in a powerful way when we do this as believers together. That's why Sunday mornings are so rich. And we can't begin to take that for granted. We can't get into a habit where we start, you know, hey, I'll just stay home this Sunday. Well, I'll just, yeah, it's just a few Sundays this month. No big deal. I'm not saying that life doesn't have, you know, other things going on and you don't have to travel at times and you don't have, but if you're sitting at home watching church at home with a bowl of cereal and, and or pancakes just because you didn't feel like coming to church, you are missing a critical part of your faith expression, a critical part of your worship to God. And he doesn't want us to miss that. 
We want to gather together and we want literally the praise of heaven and earth to shake the ground. They're like, that's my desire. I pray every time. Before I ever show up on the property, I'm driving down the road praying, God, would you break through in our lives? Would you cause heaven to break through in our temporal space, our minds, our hearts, the brokenness of our lives, all of the things that would keep us from experiencing you? God, break through and let praise rise up that it would literally shake the ground that we stand on. I pray that prayer all the time. And I believe he desires for that to take place. And, and some of us would be like, well, you know, I mean, you know, I'm really not vocal. I'm really not, you know, all about that, you know, public expression. But then we'll go out there to a tailgate and our team wins and we're, we got face paint on and we're jerseyed up and, and we're like, and the, and the stadium's literally shaking. You feel every, you feel the energy. You feel, I'm not saying it's bad to, to like cheer your team on, right? But then we come in here and God, he's good. Amen. Well, got to go. The game's coming on. <laughs> Cheer for your team, okay? We go out here. We're going to watch a game here in a minute. Cheer for your team, right? I'm cool with that. But don't cheer for your team and then not cheer for God. Don't praise an athlete and then not give praise to the one who's worthy of all praise. You know, when an ancient king, earthly king, would walk into a room, he'd require his subjects to respond by bowing or shouting and maybe even, you know, confessing things like, praise the king, long live the king, right? And the king would even require that his subjects would kiss his ring, kiss it. And those kings would use fear to compel their people to respond. God is not calling you to kiss his ring. God's calling you to respond to his love, to be compelled by his love, to bow down before him in love. Maybe some holy reverence, maybe some fear of the Lord that's good fear, but, but not because he wants to, if you don't, he's going to cast you out, because he's worthy and he's good and he loves you and he's faithful and it's everlasting and enduring. We're compelled by something different. We should be compelled by the Holy Spirit and the truth that's born in our hearts through the Word of God. And so what will be your response to God today? Some of you in here have heard, you've heard the gospel. You've heard what Jesus did. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, surrender now. Put your trust in Jesus right now in this moment. Say, it's simple. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you. I trust that you going on the cross gives me forgiveness for my sin. And that now I can be called a son or a daughter. And that now I can access the throne of grace. Thank you for that, Jesus. Father, forgive me. I surrender. It's that. You pray that. If that's your prayer, you pray that prayer. Surrender. Maybe that's your next step. Hey, if you pray that prayer, I want to encourage you to fill out the next steps card that's in the seat pocket in front of you because then you'd have another next step. I want to support you in your, in your faith journey. And, and so we can, we can come alongside of you. Maybe one of myself or one of our team members will reach out to you this week to let you know what some next steps are. But, but that, that's an important place to start. But God wants even more from us than that in this moment, I believe. I think he wants our praise. 
And, and we're going to go back into a time of praise and worship. And sometimes this is the moment where like, people like to get up and go to the bathroom. I want to encourage you not to do that. I want to encourage you to stay here in this room and don't miss this moment. Don't miss what God's trying to do. Yes, some of you are looking forward to going out those doors to, to go do tailgate Sunday here in just a little while. Don't think about that. Worry about this moment. The God of all creation is present in our lives. He's present in this space, and he wants us to lift up praise. He wants us to worship him. And so let's engage. Let's go in. Let's pray. As a matter of fact, there will be a prayer team here at the front of this auditorium while we go back into these songs. Come get some prayer if you feel like there's a place in your life where you've forgotten God. You've forgotten what he's done. Or maybe you're just struggling. Come get some prayer. Some brothers and sisters want to encourage you and lift you up before this God who's able to answer prayer. Right? But also, lift a song. Lift a song of praise. Lift a song of thanksgiving. Lift your hands. Why don't you guys go ahead and stand to your feet with me as we get ready to head back into this, this, these two songs, actually. I want, I want to encourage you to just lean into what we've talked about today, the goodness of God, his faithfulness. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are good, that you are faithful, that your love endures forever, that you are saving, that you have saved, that you are all-powerful, all-knowing, but that you are also here with us. And as big as you are, you are also right with us right now. And we just want to lift praise in a way that reflects your worth, your value. We want, to, we want to affirm your beauty, your majesty. We want to approve of you in this moment by whatever means necessary, however you compel us to, to worship you in this moment, to praise you in this moment, Lord. We surrender. We bow our lives down. We make our lives a living sacrifice. And we say, have your way in this place today, Father. We thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship.